Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. I am Michelle, and with me, of course, is Diana. Hello. And this evening, we are joined by uh, Lisa C., author of The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. We're so excited to have you with us tonight. It's really fun to be here. And we did, we're sorry we're a little late this evening, but we all here at Wine, Women, Words operate under the law of Murphy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he likes to pop his head up when we really don't want him to. Right. <laughs> I would well, just like to be fashionably late, so I don't know about you guys. So we are very excited. This book, um, Diana read um, the your other book, this the snow, no the snowflower, snowflower and the secret fan. No, I haven't read that one yet. Um, I'm suddenly blanking on um, Shanghai Girls. Oh, uh -huh. yeah, I read that, and I fell in love with the book. And you know, one of the great things or fun things about with with your books is that every time I mentioned either that book or another book by you, everybody was like, oh, Lisa C., I love her books. Oh, that's so <laughs> nice. That's really nice. Just made my day. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, like people who I didn't even, you know, expect to be readers were like, oh, I love her books. So it was really, you know, when you find an author who's like that, who you've got to read the books and read more of their books. And then this came out, and I thought this was perfect because November is our family theme here. Um, and this, just diving right into our questions, um, you know, with this being a family uh, theme book, this is more of a, the mother-daughter roles were very centric to the story. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Was it intentional or why? Or Well, you know, part of it was intentional and part of it, I'll, I'll get to that part later, was unintentional. So, you know, the story is about a young woman who gives birth to a baby in China, she has to abandon that child, and then the baby's adopted here. So it's really about, you know, these the, these bonds of motherhood and, and separation and love and sacrifice. But, you know, of all of my books, this has more mothers in it than any other book that I've written. So it's Leon and her mother, Leon and the baby, the baby and her adoptive mother, the adoptive mother and her mother. Um, Jin's mother, mm -hmm. um, also Site and Deja, also mothers very critical to the plot. Mm -hmm. And so I was really, you know, I've written, like I said, I've written about mothers and daughters before, and I really feel like in my writing, I've been exploring this um, Chinese concept of mother love. It's a written character um, that they have that really means mother love. So it's composed of two elements. One part means pain and the other part means love, but that's a mother's love. And so um, I feel like I've you know, been on this kind of evolution with my writing um, and I can talk about that if you want, but I'll tell you that 12 days before the book was due, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and she died 10 days later. Mm -hmm. And so you know, when you're in that, Mm -hmm. You're not really, um, you know, thinking about 
I mean, I had to finish up the book and I turned it in, but you know, even though you're at the end, there's still copy editing and page proofs and stuff like that. And it was about three months later where I was looking at one of these new drafts that had come uh, where I had to okay everything. I thought, oh, of course, this is what this book is about at this very deep level. And, and that it's about mother love. And, and um, I think very much it was about, again, not just the separation between Leon and Haley mm -hmm. um, that sort of is propelling the book, but also a separation that I guess I must have, I feel like I must have known on an intuitive level about my own mother. Mm -hmm. And yeah, definitely you can delve into the um, evolution of your writing. We always like to hear about, you know, the craft in and of itself. So feel free to expand on that. Yeah, so on the part about mother love. So or, yeah. I'll try to do it really quickly. So when I wrote Snowflower and the Secret Fan, I thought, oh, I get this completely. That a daughter would look at her mother, the person who's binding her feet in the name of love, you know, inflicting this unbelievable pain on her daughter in the name of love. So I got that. When I got to um, Peony and Love, I completely changed my view that it was less about how a mother looks at her, sorry, a daughter looks at her mother than how mothers look at their children. And I thought about my own experiences as a mother and I remember when my son Alexander was a tiny, you know, little, little baby, like two months old, and he got his first ear infection. And you guys know what this is like, you know, it's the middle of the night, you're walking around the house with the little baby on, you know, he's like, like this. And, <laughs> and I just had this feeling of like, you know, if only I can get through tonight. Of course, I didn't realize then he was going to learn how to drive. <laughs> <laughs> So the thing is, your kids, they grow up, they go off to college, they get jobs, they get married, they have kids, their kids can't stand them, their wives leave them, they lose their jobs, like real life happens to them. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, I can't just like, you know, pick them up and carry them on my shoulder, and pat, 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 that's not going to work at this point. So, you know, you, you find yourself offering all kinds of advice, but really all we can do as parents, as mothers, is take their pain and carry it in our hearts and, and you know that's a mother's love and then you know this for this book like i just said it was much more about that sense of separation that we can sometimes feel from um you know well it happened just because you don't get along or you've had a rift or um or somebody dies and and that that's a, a different kind of love and pain well there were a lot of ways, and uh, I, I'm a much slower reader than Diana is. Um, <laughs> and I have my wine. <laughs> oh, yay. Oh. Well, what yeah. are you drinking? Yes, let's, let's pause and talk about what. No, it's white. <laughs> I just opened the bottle. I mean, I just poured some. I wasn't paying attention to the label. <laughs> well, I remember to pour mine tonight. Yes, and I'm drinking white as well, so. Okay. It's too cold here for white right now. But um, I, I'm a much slower reader than Diana, mainly because when my kids are awake, I have to like hide to read if I, if I want to get anything done. <laughs> so she finished the book. Well, she cheated. She jumped ahead to see how it would end. 
it was driving me nuts. I had to know. And it was, it was bothering me. So I had to jump ahead and I had to skim through just so that I could be at peace that I knew what happened at the end of the book. And then I could go back and I could enjoy the rest of the story. Well, so I do that with every book. Oh, okay. I read the first chapter and then I read the last chapter. <laughs> and then I read the second chapter and then I read this penultimate chapter. And I, somewhere I meet in the middle and then I will, you know, if the book is good, I'll meet in the middle and then I'll continue on to the end. But I'm like you, I, I can't stand not knowing. I mean, I would just be, I, I really would have to just ignore the rest of the world. <laughs> I don't do that with every book now. So so your book is one of the rare ones that I had to do that with. I didn't even do that with Shanghai Girls. I went I went right along with the ride for that. And yeah, this one I just had to know what happened in the end. Of course, I'm not like with Michelle where I have to hide. Um, I just have two dogs and I just have to make sure they're not walking over top of me while I'm trying to read. <laughs> well, I used to, for the longest time, I would, at a certain point in the book, I would go and read the last page. Because I figured the last page isn't going to give away the ending, so it's not going to spoil anything. It's just going to tell me basically who's alive still. Right. <laughs> right. Well, but I, read, I write the last sentence first. Oh, do you really? Because I want to know where I'm going. I may not know how I'm going to get there, but I want to know where I'm going to end up emotionally. And so with this book, even though the scene where it takes place it ended up being in a different place than what I had in my head, the last line was still the same. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, now I've got to go back and like refresh my memory on what the, la the exact last line was. So go ahead with your, you, did you have more of your question, Michelle? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so when I was getting close to the end um, and I was, I had, a theory on how it would end and I but and I, I started getting closer and I text Diana and I said I'm starting to think that this book isn't gonna end how I'm expecting it to end and she said well what are your theories and at first I thought that she uh, that Leanne was gonna find Haley in America and she was gonna go looking for her and then right around the time that Jin and Leanne went back to her village. Um, after they got married, it was one of the first times that they went back to, to the village after they, they got married when they, she found out she was pregnant, that I thought, is she just gonna go, are, are they gonna end up back in the village, just like living and kind of returning, coming for full circle back? Which I guess kind of in a way it did, but um, but Diana said, well, neither of your theories are correct. <laughs> well, that's so. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even, t I couldn't tell you that you were close with one because then I would totally ruin it for you. So, I mean, you were kind of close, but, you know, no spoilers for you. But, um, but there were so many ways I feel like you could have ended the story. There are a, so many options. Um, did you always know that it was going to be Haley finding her mother and not the other way around? Now, isn't this kind of a big spoiler alert? Well, we uh, we always tell readers now when you know le leading up in all of our previous <laughs> episodes, we always let everyone know that We're gonna spoilers abound. Yes. So, um, the comes on. I, so I always did know that. I mean, I always did, but I, I can, you know, what in my mind, the original ending was um, 
Haley with her parents walking on either side of her, walking up this driveway to Sean's house and where she was going to show this tea cake to his friend, but at, you know, at Tina and um, that Tina Leanne. And, mm -hmm. and so, um, and then they would still have this moment of recognition and that the novel would end the same way where this ama, ama, ama. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, it was just, I, so I didn't know that they were going to end up in China, but the scene played out all, you know, very similar to how I had originally planned. And I think I would have been very mad if they hadn't met each other. I would have been so disappointed. <laughs> I would have been really sad. <laughs> You know, yeah, I was really invested all of that time with this, you know, these people separated. I really felt that they had to find each other. And I was almost coming to like, I was almost starting to accept that they may not. And I was, I was, you know, there was so much peace and acceptance on, on, at least on Leanne's end. Like she was fulfilled as, as a woman, as a mother, and as a wife. And I was like, well, maybe it's okay if if she doesn't find Haley. But then you see on the flip side, Haley Haley needed to find her. She mm -hmm. she needed she needed to know who you know who, where she came from. I mean, it played such a huge part in her life. Um, but also, you know, with the tea cake, it would be like really sort of rude as a writer to have this whole <laughs> sort of mystery of a tea cake and not solve it. Right. You have <laughs> yeah. to solve that. Otherwise, it would be like, why is that even in there? So, um, you know, uh, the stories, you know, in the in the um, sort of short story that that uh, Haley writes, that's um, about her family's trip to China, and it's sort of this fictional version of her family's trip to China. And, and there's that point where there, she's in the hotel room and she says, I really want to, you know, I want to put up some flyers and things like that. And, ha and then, you know, her mother's like, no, you're never going to find her. It's like impossible, statistically impossible. And then she starts showing them these articles. You know, here's an article in the New York Times. Here's one in the Boston Globe of girls who have found their, their birth families or mothers in China. And you would think it would be totally impossible, right? It's 1.3 billion people. And yet all of those stories are true. That was one of my questions when I was reading <laughs> that story. I was like, those articles, like that's oddly specific. Yeah. And that... Yeah, well, that's why they were, <laughs> because they, they actually happened. And then wow. another really, really neat thing happened, which was just before I did my very first event for this book, I was um, in New York, sitting in the green room, you know, very nervous, like 10 minutes before, you know, I'm just like, okay, I'll just like look at my email, you know, because I was so <laughs> nervous. And I got an email from one of the young women who I'd interviewed. And it was something like, you know, well, we haven't been in contact for a while, so I thought I'd catch you up on what's been going on in my life. And um, she had been a student at Yale and was having a hard time. And she took a year off. She was just really struggling emotionally. And she did a lot of issues of identity and stuff like that. And so she went to China 
she had not told me this when I interviewed her. She had been found with little pieces of paper with writing on them in her clothes. Hmm. That nobody knew what it was. And when she was in China, she showed this to her. She met a reporter and showed him those pieces of paper. And he did a little piece about her on, the, on television. And she found her birth family. Oh, I learned that 10 minutes before I went on to the <laughs> very first event. And then when I was out on tour, I met another two young women who, who found their birth families. So even though it seems like it's, you know, there are no records in China, um, you know, and it's such a big country in terms of population. In fact, uh, people have been finding their families and, and there's more stuff happening now too, where um, there's like a guy in China who's, who is collecting DNA hmm. uh, from, from mothers there. And I don't, you know, so far, I don't know what their success rate is, but you know, it, it's, it's something anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's so fascinating. Um, that was one thing that I really liked about the story was Haley's narrative that we just got snippets of it as the story went along. And so you mentioned you actually interviewed people. So you interviewed people who had been adopted yes. in the U.S. Um, what was that like with their stories? And it was so powerful. And I, I mean, I really, I really, hello. <laughs> I've had um, some really incredible experiences, you know, during research for different books, but <laughs> talking to these young women was really one of the most incredible. Um, some of them, you know, some people I knew, like, you know, we have friends who've adopted from China, or I have people in my own family who've adopted from China. Um, but I also wanted to find young women around the country, not little kids, but sort of 18 to about 22 years old. And some of them I met completely randomly. Like I was giving a talk in Florida at a, like I was the lunch speaker. Mm -hmm. And um, during the lunch, I was seated next to a woman whose niece had been adopted from China. Um, there was another time I was in New York and giving a talk and at a museum. And afterwards, there were these two young women who came through the line to get their books signed. And, you know, they started talking and they also had been adopted from China. And so when I would meet somebody like that, I would say, can I send you some questions? Mm -hmm. And I had a list of about a dozen questions, which um, I sent out, you know, and what I got back were these letters 30 to 50 pages long. Mm -hmm. where They had just completely opened their hearts and, and shared their experience with me. And so, you know, that chapter, the um, chapter with the, like the transcript, you know, mm -hmm. the therapy session. So obviously I made up the doctor. I made up the five girls. I made up their backstories. I made up, you know, certainly the flow of the conversation and the dynamics of the conversation. But I'd say that about maybe 30 or 40% of that chapter, I literally just cut and pasted from the letters that those young women had written to me. And I, I think that that's why that, that chapter feels so kind of powerful and, and real. Yeah, the, the whole, you know, the whole adoption side of the story felt so, felt so real because obviously because of that, that's why. I mean, and it was especially poignant for me because we're actually 
leaning towards the adoption side of things and looking at adoption. So that hit with me looking at, because we got to see it from the child's perspective, because so much has been from the adult's perspective. It's nice to see it from the child's perspective. And um, one of the things Michelle and I actually had been laughing about, was it last week or this week? I can't remember. Um, there were actually a couple of uh, boys that I was looking at um, for adoption that were available for adoption that have terrible names. And, and that was the, my first thought was, can we change the name? Uh -huh. And, you know, and then I started thinking about this book and like, because uh, the legal stuff was like, well, you got to consider the cultural ramifications. Um, do you think that with Haley's, some of that, her self-identity issues, not just because she didn't look like the other Chinese kids, but was her name, do you think, part of her issue for as a character for her finding her self-identity? That's a really interesting question, but you know, I don't think so. I think partly because if you think about Chinese Americans generally, mm -hmm. you know, yes, there's some who are immigrants who still use their Chinese name, but mm -hmm. they're, you know, people have very American names and are Asian. And so I, I think that that is probably less an issue with Asian adoptees than it might be with with others. Okay. And you know, and, and also, I mean, I do know that a lot of families, I'm just trying to think of like it for Chinese adoption, mm -hmm. where the baby has a name, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, typically they're so they're babies, right? Mm -hmm. I mean it, Although now they're older than they used, you know, used to be. I was, I actually, I just talked to a book club on Skype earlier this week, where all of the people in the, in it had had adopted from other countries. Oh, interesting. So about half of them had adopted from China, some from um, Korea, and then also Africa and South America. So it was like there were like about a dozen of them. And so this was, you know, they, they, and then this was interesting. They only read books that have to do with adoption. Oh. So like that's a very narrow focus. <laughs> I don't know how many books there are, but okay. And um, uh, why did I bring that up? Um, because I brought that up because um, I think they were, they were, well, we were talking about how it used to be in China with, you would go, you know, it wasn't like you even saw a photo. You went and you got like a brand new baby. Mm -hmm. It could just be a couple of days old. But over time with the one child policy and sort of the tightening up of adoption rules, kids have gotten older and older. And so you have, you know, months, even a year of seeing photos of the baby growing up. So I think at the at least so at the beginning, I think uh, you know, these were babies who didn't even have a sense of their Chinese name. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that said, a lot of families <coughs> that is the middle name. So mm -hmm. it would be like, you know, Beth, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. um, Beth Hulan Smith. Uh -huh. Or they'll add in May, which is a M E I, which is a certainly a 
uh, very American sounding name, even mm -hmm. though it can be written in a Chinese way. Now, as far as like the amount of research that you must have done for this book is amazing because you describe the culture and the lifestyle of the um, the Aka people, and am, am I pronouncing that right? Is it Aka? Okay. Right. Um, how how much research went into that book? Because that culture is is very different than anything that that we know, and it, but it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I do a tremendous amount of research. This book took me three years. Uh, the research part of it is a huge amount of time. I'd say it probably takes the most amount of time out of the out of the three years. And for this one, you know, I was researching the Aka, I was researching adoption, I was researching um, certainly tea, and then there are all those other kinds of things that are in there, like cardboard and real estate in Southern California and, and you know, the global economic collapse, which although I, you know, we all lived through it, I mm -hmm. wouldn't say that it was really in the forefront of my mind as I, when I first sat down to write the book. So mm -hmm. all of those things and, and um, there, you know, there's so many different uh, ways that I do research. Certainly now there's a lot of stuff you actually can find on the internet. I live pretty close to UCLA and I go over there to the research library quite a bit. And then I also, you know, I, I go to every place that I write about. Mm -hmm. um, I try as best I can to find people who, who will share their stories with me. Mm -hmm. And um, whether that was here or in China, and um, yeah, I you know I every any any way I can research I do. I know there are a lot of writers who actually hire people to do research. I can't even imagine doing that. I think uh, for me, writing the research is the the funnest part of it. It where... is absolutely. It's so much fun. I, you never know what you're going to find. It's like this incredible treasure hunt. Uh -huh. And then there are times when you're like, you know, like looking at stuff and it's like, oh, I've got to use that. I've got to use that. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, actually for me, the research starts to help build the plot. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why historical fiction is so great. And then this doesn't even, cons this one doesn't count as historical fiction, really, I don't think, because it's, but it's so very rooted in that culture, because um, I never heard of those people before. And then... And we shared some of the um, pictures on, on our Facebook page of their headdresses, just so, you know, I was like, okay, I've got to Google this. Like, amazing. Oh, they're just incredible. So now did you get to go there as part of your research to go yeah. check? Yeah, oh, you absolutely. did? How neat. What was that like actually seeing it? Oh, it was, so actually, um, before I went, I had done a little bit of research on all of the 26 ethnic minorities that live in Yunnan. Mm -hmm. So not a whole lot, but enough so that I could say, yes, I'm interested in this one. No, I'm not. And so by the time I went, I narrowed it down to five. The Aka were not one of them. Hmm. And, but, you know, you, I go with an open mind. You never know what you're going to find. Same thing. And I, I really had thought I'd be writing about the Dai people. The Dai are very interesting. They're really the biggest ethnic minority in mm -hmm. Yunnan. Um, 
they have their own written language. So, you know, there's certain benefits to that. And their whole, like whole cities. I went to this one city where all the signage was in the Dai language, like nothing in Chinese. So, you know, I thought, oh, this is the one that I'll be writing about. Anyway, there came a day when uh, we visited uh, this one tea family, an Aka family. They're very well known for the teas that they grow. They have a lot of thousand year old trees on their property. And the daughter, and you know, truly in the middle of nowhere. I mean, like really in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and this kind of funky little pavilion thing that they made. And we sat out in this and drank tea basically for three days. Uh, all the teas that they make. Sounds and, so um, the daughter, Abu, she really reminded me a lot of myself <laughs> in the sense that she loved to ask questions. She loved to collect stories. Mm -hmm. So she started telling these stories about her mother and her grandmother, her own personal story. I actually used a lot of it to help uh, build the story for Leanne. Mm -hmm. And then um, she also collected stories from the elders in her village, but also on her side of Nano Mountain. So mm -hmm. by the time lunch came around on that first day, I knew I'd be writing about the Aka. And all that other research I did went right out the window. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm so thankful for her stories because now I'm like, I'm very fascinated about the the Aka people. Um, it's I I I'm a social, I had a I got a sociology degree with a minor in English and anthropology, and so I just love other cultures and things of that nature. So I'm very fascinated about it. And I loved um, that whole like how when the West because to them, I mean, modern China and the West kind of invaded their lifestyle. Things changed so rapidly for them. And that's so true for so many of these minorities. Um, I'm, I'm more familiar with the ones in South America where you just, you give them a t-shirt and all of a sudden, you know, as soon as they get the West in there, it's just completely. Yeah. And completely. I think one of the number one things that causes change is electricity. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in this area, in Yunnan, where I was, mm -hmm. they it's now 13 years, but when I was there, it had only been 10 years since they had electricity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would ask people, what was the first thing you bought when you started to make money? Electricity. And ask women, what was the, and then, you know, the second thing, always a television set. I'll come back to that in a second. But I would <laughs> always ask women, what was the first thing you bought for yourself? when you started to make money. And 100% across the board, the first thing that women bought for themselves was washing machine. And if you think about how transformative that invention has been for women all around mm -hmm. the world, even today, mm -hmm. but going back to television. So, you know, China has state controlled television. That said, when I was traveling there in the 80s, early 90s, the two most popular shows on state-controlled television were Baywatch and The X-Files. <laughs> so think about what that tells you about the world. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, so, and then the other thing is um, commercials aren't state-controlled. And so, you know, countries all, all around the world, 
they all have that if only we could sell our fill in the blank to china 1.3 billion people so they're everybody's advertising so we've got mm -hmm. ads from italy and australia and you know just kenya i mean just like every place advertising so people literally are are they're not just seeing like what's happening at the bottom of the mountain or what's happening in China, they're actually seeing the whole world. Mm -hmm. And they're seeing, obviously, a very, very, very different life <coughs> than what they've been living. And just as a side note, you probably know this, you know, 250,000 people each day around the world get electricity for the first time. Wow. I didn't know that. I'm surprised yeah. that's so high. Yeah, I, it was just an, an article in the New York Times about a month ago. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's, and then the other thing in that article was that it's 300,000 people a day get clean water for the first time. Wow. That's, I've been involved with some clean water charities and read the literature on that. That unfortunately isn't as surprising. Um, but it's, we're in such a westernized industrial bubble where we see so you know so much we take this stuff for granted right. that i'm going to flip a switch i'm going to have electricity and right. the water that's going to come out of my faucet is going to be clean unless i'm in flint michigan um but yeah seeing that is and hearing that we we need that reference constantly i, I don't know i feel like because when my husband and I typically travel, we typically go to second world countries. We go, we've been to some fairly remote places in Peru and Costa Rica. And my husband was in Afghanistan and Iraq. And yeah, the commercials there are just about as much of a trip. And yeah, you still in Afghanistan, the people around his base still had mud houses. And after the rains, they'd have to go back up and build up their walls all right. over again. Yeah. And yeah, we and yeah, he and I got quite frustrated because when we went to France, our family kept panicking that oh my god, something's gonna happen. And we're like, really? We <laughs> we got so angry because we're just like, this is no, we've been to worse places. We're going to be fine. Right. Yeah, we just we have a tendency to take that for granted. But I want to touch back with the women and the. Um, with, like you said, with the washing machines, and um, one of the thoughts that came to my mind with the women in this book was a um, non-Westernized idea of feminism, where we have, when we think of feminism, we think of it in a very Westernized fashion, and everything has to be the way we see it, the loud in your face, I'm going to be equal to you. And in some cases, like with um, with Ama, she just she couldn't have that. She couldn't be that equal. Um, was that kind of has that been a difficulty for you in your writing to make sure that you have you don't put in too much of the westernized ideas into these characters? Or well, I mean, well, actually, I think that that you know at the very beginning her response this very old ingrained tradition about human rejects her response is a very western response yeah and with that human rejects thing just for a moment you did not mince on the gut punch right off the bat 
<laughs> that was a hard section to read. I, I had to put the book down for a minute. Yeah, and you know, it was something that I knew I wanted to use. But there's always that fear as a writer that people are going to put it down and not pick it up again. That it's just going to be so gruesome. But that's why that's why Leanne has to react the way she does. Mm -hmm. I think partly is she's too young. You know, she's too young to have had everything from her culture completely sink in where you think, oh, yes, this is exactly how everything should be. So, um, so in that sense, I, I, I do feel like she has sort of a Western response. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think it's a very fine line. And I, and I have different ways with my writing. Like, um, you know, obviously a lot of Chinese and Chinese Americans read my books. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll get a criticism from people that, oh, you know, they would never hug their daughter. And that's true. They wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But I also know that, you know, so I have to sort of find this place where I'm, it's still true, but I have to bring we'll call them western readers into the story mm -hmm. but people who let's say have a chinese background ha i have to be true enough that they can come along as well mm -hmm. you see what i mean yeah so, so then just going to your point about feminism no so china is a really interesting place in this regard because you know mao in many ways china was way ahead of the of the west 1949, Mao's, and I don't often say good things about him, but he said, women hold up half the sky. And he meant mm -hmm. it. And so that meant that if you were a woman, you had to come out of your house and you had to work in the fields or work in a factory or go to school and have a job. I mean, you know, you, you didn't have a choice about it. Women hold mm -hmm. up half the sky. They had to participate. And so they were really pretty far ahead in many ways. Um, the, the, compared to the West. Now that said, um, I think there's been some pretty serious backsliding there. Mm -hmm. We just saw any of the pictures from the recent People's Congress of very, very few women in real power. Um, and, but also, you know, just like in the West, there's isn't equal pay for equal work. Mm -hmm. All right, so there's that. But I do think that there are cultural ways where women have a tremendous amount of power uh, in, in China and Asia in general. So mm -hmm. there's this kind of idea, and I didn't really write about it in this book because I'm really writing very specifically about the Akka, but in, um, I have to just look at my shelf for a second. Oh, yeah, in Snowflower and the Secret Fan. Um, I wrote about it quite a bit there, that there's the outside world is for men and the inside world is for women. And it's really that women control everything inside these walls. Mm -hmm. That's very true also in Japan, where men can be out there, you know, but when they come in, women are women are in charge, like really in charge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that may not be our idea of, of feminism and, mm -hmm. you know, taking over the world, but that is a certain kind of power and um, strength. That they that they have, mm -hmm. it does it does it makes perfect sense because I think that 
in so many ways, especially with Americans when we look at other cultures um, in that regards, we want them to to be more like us. And it's like very easy for us to look at Amma, because I, I go to Amma, because she's the, is it the third or the fourth uh, most important person in the village. Right, and, and she's, she, there's that line in there where she's still yeah. lower than the, you know, little boy, any little mm -hmm. boy. So, you know, it's really like, she is the third most important, but, mm -hmm. but they're all the men, all the teenage boys, mm -hmm. all the little boys, they're all ahead of her. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, and exactly. And then, but yeah, she still holds a lot of power and a lot of sway right. within the village itself. And it's so easy for somebody here from America to look at that and be like, well, she just, she's just so backwards. It's everything's just not right. But yet it's still, she still has carries that, you know, that strong mantle for within that culture itself. Um, so yeah, I, that does answer that question before I start rambling and mumbling. Cause yeah, I like the book. <laughs> um, but with speaking of the women, um, I think we need to unpack a few things about, um, is it Saite or is it, is that how it's pronounced? yeah. We need to unpack some things about her. Um, Michelle and I, in our last episode, we brought up the question, we wanna know what your thoughts are on this. Um, it's very easy to think of her as just being greedy and jealous. And the question that we had was, if she were a man, would she have been looked at that same in that same light? Would she have just been seen as being uh, somebody who was just ambitious and taking every opportunity she could, or could, would she still have been considered to be a greedy backstabber? So we're just curious on what your thoughts were on this question. Well, no one's put that to me that way before. So I, I actually think of her a little differently in the sense that uh, you know even from the very beginning her family is better off you know mm -hmm. if you if everybody else doesn't have a pig and you have a pig you're the you're the you're the power you know you're the wealthy one right mm -hmm. so it's it's on a very small scale but there's that sense even from the beginning that this family is better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. and so i think for cité that when her family loses everything because of the twins, you know, mm -hmm. that this is a real blow to her. I mean, mm -hmm. even as a small child, as a seven-year-old, this is a real blow and that she doesn't really fully recover from it or she doesn't bounce back from it. Mm -hmm. And so that it's something, it's like, I don't know, my grandparents all sort of lived through the, really lived through the depression. Mm -hmm. And even like long after the depression, they still were like, oh, we're in a restaurant. We have to take over, take home the leftover rolls because we might not have them tomorrow, you know, that they would be, they were so um, uh, just always worried it was going to happen again, you know, and always <laughs> like saving wrapping paper, you know, because you use it again, real frugality. Yeah. And no, that was over and I can my husband's father is um, 93 and his father lost everything in the depression so you know my father-in-law is 93 I don't think anything bad is going to happen to him now but he still is very 
you know, in his own way, quite practical and careful. So yeah, we, I, I do estate planning and yeah, our, we've got a number of clients who, who come into our office that are just like that, where they live through the depression. And we actually had one that actually wound up um, getting herself in the hospital because <laughs> he ate expired food that she shouldn't have eaten because you don't waste food. Right. And yeah, that very depression. And she went through the, um, it wasn't just the depression. She went, she was in Germany um right after world war ii so when they had like nothing nothing um she had that men she still had that mentality that you had to do that yeah and so i so to me that's mm -hmm. sort of the place that ck is coming from she's mm -hmm. also not a good person she's just not a good person yeah and, and, you know there are people like that in the world mm -hmm. and you know i i've i've actually i've written a lot about women's friendship you know i've mm -hmm. written course about mothers and that sort of thing but a lot about women's friendship and and um but i think of it as being like the dark shadow side of women's friendship mm -hmm. and and that we like to think oh women just get along so well but you know really they they often don't mm -hmm. and they and you're right i guess there is that kind of backstabbing but i think it's a little more insidious uh, in the sense we, I don't, we aren't trained very well to be direct, you mm -hmm. know, little boys, they scuffle and then they just play, right? Mm -hmm. Or later they will have, you know, they're older and they might get mad at each yeah. other and then they'll say, let's have a beer. Yeah. Women, we're not allowed to really mm -hmm. do that or we're not trained to do that to like get mad and then it's over. Uh -huh. it's sort of harbor these you know things and then there's that kind of stabbing yeah stabbing. We're, yeah we're trying to be passive aggressive and be uh sneaky exactly. about things yeah 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 uh Cite worried me from the very beginning man, and i do think if she was a man and she still had done what she did mm -hmm. um you know making all of the i mean she's doing something that's really not right you know making mm -hmm. those counterfeits um, selling them, um, she's really taking advantage. I mean, she she is taking advantage of a situation, but mm -hmm. she's not really being fair to all of the people who she's lived with and grown up with. So I, you know, she's it's all about for her. I think building that giant house, which by the way is a house that I went to. I met a woman. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure she's a much nicer person. She was very nice. When I was there. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, she had nothing. Uh -huh. And now she had, she built this, well, in China, they call them villas. And it, but I mean, it's just like some like McMansion. And um, I, that's great for her. Mm -hmm. But her house was in the shape of a horseshoe. Mm -hmm. you. And in the there were about 30 women in traditional dress with their headdresses and everything around those big trays sorting tea a leaf at a time oh wow um she went out and paid them and it you know it was just not very i mean she had this this um uh, like fanny pack mm -hmm. it was just like you know it was about this thick just sitting here um just filled with these hundred yuan notes which are what, what about ten dollars and then that's what she was paying them for. So, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, 
the, the rich do get richer, but there's no reason maybe why they can't help bring people along a little further. Mm -hmm. Very good points. And going back just really quick to the um, to the culture, one of the first things that we talked about as we got further into the story was that as as different as that culture is from ours and how you know it may seem backwards from from our through our point of view how liberal they were with uh, yeah like for you know for a cult you know where we're taught and so many other cultures are like you know no sex until you're married and multiple sexual partners is like awful and they're just like no, go to the flower room, you know, test it out, try as many as you want. Try the machete. machete, I love that phrase. <laughs> right, but I, you know, remember that this is a very short amount of time that they get to do this, mm -hmm. right? And they've gotten their headdresses ready, then they have the swing festival, the guys come to look at these girls during the swing festival, and then there's like three months later is when you have to get married. So it's a very short time period. Mm -hmm. And um, I am sure that a lot of girls got pregnant. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. But, um, you know, they also probably had to get married, too. Yes, and hopefully most of their um, spouses were approved by their family, as opposed to uh, Senpa and uh, her family not liking him. And that, in and of itself, was a, just a... Um, I don't want to say crazy journey, but that was an intense journey for her. Um, in many ways, is it feels like that was her coming of age moment. Am, am I on the right track with that? That that's what it was. So. I mean, I I didn't think of it that way, but I think you're right. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that she, by the time, by the time she's done, when that's over, mm -hmm. she is a very different person. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. She, she's a true survivor mm -hmm. and she's also not going to be um, I mean she's she's going to be more cautious um, and she's gonna and careful you know really careful with her heart but also everything mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. everything yeah the tiger scene really um, set with me and if, in many ways it almost felt like it was a bit of a metaphor where he was the tiger was killing off that childhood part of her and so much of that tiger can represent so much of what you know a woman has to go through to become for the womanhood the twisted things that even we even have to deal with in the westernized world as our twisted initiations into womanhood and that almost felt like that was very representative of that visually as a person and as a character and then you know she still kept to her ways. She still kept true to what she knew. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then um, now that she you know, also so has that point too, when you know when she's in Thailand before her escape, where she it's just like everything she realizes. Okay, this really this this just was a bad mistake. Mm -hmm. you know, and and that there's a for me, it's like in that first whatever we'll call it a third of the novel, or maybe it's half, whatever wrong turn she could make, she does make. Mm -hmm. And and then there are consequences to that. 
you know, mm -hmm. every, every wrong move she makes, there's a consequence, which also sends her to another bad move. <laughs> and, but then she pulls out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it um, almost seems a little through the book, she's rebelling against her culture and then she's accepting you know, she accepts it and then towards the end she learns to appreciate it and and value it for more than than what she ever ever thought she would yeah i think I, that's true and I, but i think that part of that is just from my own experience of with friends who let's say they were raised um you know going to temple or going to church and then they sort of fell away from it and then when they had kids Mm -hmm. They started going back to church, going back to temple, right? This, this is something they, they were away from it for 15, 20 years, but then came back to it as parents. Mm -hmm. And I love that they, that uh, Deja comes back and, and she comes back and she kind of acts as the bridge to, to her world when she, when Paul is born and, and she makes sure that they follow, they follow. all of the... <laughs> I just have to say, so I didn't know she was going to come back. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, you know, I really, you know, after the thing with the twins, I thought, well, she's been banished. I'll never see her again. <laughs> and then Sun Pa and Leanne are, you know, walking to Thailand. And who does she run into? Hey, mm -hmm. I was, I'm like, you know, I'm sitting right in this chair. I was like... No! I can't believe it! Oh, I can't believe she's there! Oh, look at her sad circumstances! Oh, this is so terrible! And then, but you know, okay, then then when Leanne was walking back, she never found that village. I thought, well, okay, I guess we're never going to see her again. And then, of course, on the orphanage steps, there she was. I couldn't believe it. And so when Leanne says something like, um, you know, of course, there's no coincidence, no story theme throughout, but, you know, there's some reason why we keep bumping into each other. And now, you know, I'm bringing you with me. And that's what I felt as the writer it was like, there's some reason she keeps popping up. I have to bring her along with me now. And I think in many ways, you're, you know, you're absolutely right, Michelle, that she bridge back into Aka culture. She makes sure that when Paul is born, you know, all the proper things are done. <laughs> but also, she's a, a little bit of comic relief, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, the, the, the birthing, the, the oh birth scene, that was hilarious. <laughs> I was just cracking up, even as I was writing it. And then when she, you know, dropped the placenta on the side, you know, on the night table, I was just like, are you no way! You didn't just do that. <laughs> and I can picture the doctors there, like, okay, all right, because I'm from the same area where where they are, and so I see I'm I'm around a lot of the Asian Americans in that area, and so I can see myself, I see the doctor very clearly as the Western person being what you know surrounded by that culture, going, okay, you know what, I don't understand this, but I'm just gonna step away and let it happen. <laughs> And I love the scene where she's coming out from underneath the house because she's buried it. And she's just, I could just picture her just covered in cobwebs yeah. from crawling down in those spaces. Yeah. Which, kudos to her because I would never do that. You know, <laughs> tradition be damned. I just, I wouldn't do it. 
And can we just take a moment to reflect on Jin, our new book boyfriend, how great he is. And I love him. Yes. I love that you, you loved him. And he's, he's like, he felt like a Prince Charming. He created this, it started to feel like a Cinderella story for, for Lynn there that it was, you know, he came around, he was understanding, he let her do her thing, and he was very supportive. He was um, very supportive, but he had a really great mother. He did. He was <laughs> awesome. And he, yes. and he also had, though, you know, they, I mean, I think with Jin's mother and Jin and Leanne, that they recognize in each other tragedy. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that, you know, by being together, it's like they're both healing each other. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, I was, I was just, I was just so happy that he was really rich. <laughs> like, no, this is really, I just love it, you know, but, but that, you know, that, that even that first, um, that chapter when they first have come to LA and she's like, oh, this, I'm with this fancy restaurant, but it makes me kind of sick. And, you know, mm -hmm. now they, they took me out on Rodeo Drive and bought me all this stuff and okay. But, you know, she wasn't like, an, oh, now she's had to get a haircut and all of that, that there was this Part where she's like, well, don't you just like me as who I am? And but that she had to sort of learn to accept real goodness. Mm -hmm. But he did too, right? He mm -hmm. had to be able to accept that he didn't have to punish himself. Anymore. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, because I mean, we we see him going on his journey uh, too, along with her, and yeah, he's just so great. <laughs> I like. Yes, we've we've decided that he has made it into our top five list yes. of our our fantasy literature boyfriends. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> you kids are so much colorful language from being on this show and being around me. <laughs> well, I just have to say, yeah, we have we have colds going through the house. So well, we've already talked for more than an hour, I think. So I, yeah, we're just at the yeah, hour. So yes, we're just about to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a Thank real you. pleasure. I hope we get to do it again one of these days. This was great fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're welcome to come back whenever you like. Um, <laughs> and we'll talk in it and the next book that you have come out. And we do have an event that we're planning on in June. If you're interested, I can hit you up about. Okay. Um, so I will email you about that. And in the meantime, everyone else, um, our book for December is Reliance, Illinois by Mary Vollmer. Hey. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. Go out and get that. Um, and she'll be on the show with us at the end of December. So thank you. And thank, thank you, you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Have a good night. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for all the technical help. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm happy that it worked. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.